Trusted Visions podcast. Stacy, last month we really talked about the advantages of working with third-party recruiting firms and what differentiates the Trusted Visions team over a lot. And so we've heard a lot from our audience. This month, I'm excited about this topic. It's a little bit different, um, but we're going to talk about, as we've seen, the trend continue with the M&A space and not necessarily the M&A space within the broker-dealer world, but the M&A space of advisors selling their practice and advisors buying practices. And a lot of people think, oh, it's easy. I'll just go out to some of these you know, places and list it and just figure out a buyer. But there's a lot of nuances, just like we talked about with working with third-party recruiting firms, that our audience should think about before they even go about even listing their practice. So this week, we're going to focus on advisors, before you even think about listing your practice, some of those things you should think about. Um, And so, Stacey, you've dealt with this a lot over your 20 years in the industry. Can you speak to our audience about some of those things that they may not even know to consider when selling their practice and things they should consider before they even list their practice. Absolutely. And yeah, this is a timely topic. We are working um, actively with uh, quite a few offices right now with the succession planning in mind, Um, either trying to find that right successor, trying to figure out um, how they want to go about it. And this one office told us, um, I feel like I need an advisor to advise me right through this process. And I think that's where we can uh, provide that outside voice um, of what we've seen uh, between Jeremy, what you've seen in your um, you know, 20 plus years, as well as uh, my experience. And I think, uh, first of all, as you're looking at that, adjusting or looking at the timeline for what your expectation is important. Are you starting with, hey, I'm 10 years out from this? and I just need to get some some plans in place. Um, great. We can really start thinking about uh, those, you know, before you would put anything on the market, before you list anything, um, what are your ideal uh, tenets of what you want to accomplish through your own succession plan? If you're five years out, again, you still got quite a bit of time. Um, I'm working with a few offices right now. They're like a year, year and a half out. And their challenge has been finding the right person. So I think that gets to what you're getting at, Jeremy, of what things do I need to consider before I even, you know, really start putting pen to paper or have an agreement in place. And relationship is one of those things. Do you, you know, how important is it to have someone that you really have the utmost confidence in, like in your backyard uh, to take over that book? Some advisors, that is the utmost important overprice. It's the confidence in who they're referring that client to. Others are maybe less concerned about that, but maybe more about the offer. So I think just kind of navigating through in your own mind, like where is the level of importance for me? Um, you know, what does my client book look like? Do I need to have a special advisor with a, a match in, you know, what type of client um, niche that you're working with? For example, I was working with an office this week. Um, he built his book up on a CPA practice. And then his wealth management, of course, came from that CPA side of his business. And in that process, he feels that he is... Um, extra involved with all of his clients. They call him for every little thing, both on the accounting, the tax side, as well as the wealth management. And he would really like to have someone with that same background geographically right where he's at. And so that's good to know because we can 
we can narrow things down and help make some introductions, you know, with that same background, similar client niche and um, geographically close by. Other things and gosh, Jeremy, we could go on for this for quite a while, but I'll just mention a few things trying to yeah, keep it within time here. You might want to consider a size match for your office. Um, you know, if you are an office at $200,000 book and you're trying to buy a, a book that's $2 million, it might that might not work. If you're the $2 million office, you may not want to sell to someone that has uh, such a smaller book. So those are things that we can help navigate or just be thinking through like who you're getting in front of. Uh, you may want to look at who, um, you know, if you're fee-based, are you doing advisor directed or third-party managed? Is it a match? Is someone that's going to buy your book going to be able to manage those accounts the way you do? Or might it be better to go with a third-party manager so that all stays consistent for your clients. So again, some of those uh, nuances, I think the same question goes towards if you're entirely commission-based. It's pretty attractive for some offices to buy a commission-based book and help move it to fees over time. Are you okay with that? Are you going to help that along? Maybe you don't want to go through the work of doing that conversion. You're fine with someone else doing it. Um, but, you know, just prepping those clients for what that might look like in the future to help uh, with that sale of your book. So those are just a, a few things. I mean, we can also look at the experience levels of other books um, or practices when they purchase books as well. It's not to say that if someone hasn't bought a book before that it's it's a bad thing. It's just it's part of the discussion that you might want to have, um, as well as how you employ an outside voice to help consult and work through that whole process. Um, Jeremy, what did I miss? What would you add? You know, there were some great points there, Stacey. I, I always say the first question a seller should ask themselves is, what legacy do you want to leave behind? And, and what I mean by that is, is have you formed relationships with your, your clients to where you're working with their kids and grandkids? And so they're smaller accounts. They're, you know, putting $50 a month into the Roth because the highest price is always great, but you want to make sure to your point, Stacy, it, it's a good fit. And you want to make sure that you're not going to upset or disrupt clients that you've been working with for 20 plus years. And I think a lot of advisors, forget that thought process of what legacy do I want to leave? The money is great, but you formed a relationship with these clients for over 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And we've actually, Stacy, you and I were working on a group um, a couple of years ago that they ended up going a different direction against our advice. And mm -hmm. it turned out to be a disastrous process. And, and it's unfortunate because people get dangled with the carrot of, the highest bidder wins the deal. And there's so many other things to consider when it comes to, you know, what kind of <laughs> person, as you put it, do you want to come into the practice? I think the second thing, and, and to add on to your point about timing, Stacey, is I always suggest that anybody that is trying to hurry up and get you to finish this deal, you run away from. Because this is a a difficult decision, and it's an extremely important decision, why rush it? And don't sit there and try and say that you need to hurry up with the process because we want to get this done. Take your time and really map out a plan. And that's where firms like ours, Stacy, can really help in guiding, directing you. I mean, we're working with a team right now 
that they're going through the process. They've never been through this process of who keeps the transition money. Um, should we go to one common broker dealer? I mean, obviously it's ideal if you're both with the same broker dealer. It doesn't have to happen that way, but how do you negotiate both sides of it? The reality to our audience is you're going to get 10, 20, 30, 40 offers out there. How do you navigate through those to figure out who's qualified and how much time you can dedicate to this? It's not the snap of the button. People are going to get called all the time. I, I just talked to an advisor last week, said, hey, I got a call saying someone would offer me six and a half times my multiple of my revenue. I said, look, I mean, you can go down that path, but I guarantee you there's going to be a bait and switch at some point in time because historically speaking, you don't see you know, more than three, three and a half, sometimes four times multiple. So working with firms like ours really can help you navigate through, pardon my French, the BS versus figuring out what's reality and thinking through these items that you mentioned, Stacey, about, you know, if you are heavily commission-based, are you okay? Because anybody that buys that practice is likely going to start moving that business from commission to advisory. And you want to make sure that that messaging is appropriate, that they're not saying, yeah, hey, Mr. Client, Stacey sold you the wrong product and it wasn't really the right fit for you. Now I'm coming in and going to do this. So you want to have those conversations that you don't even know to you know, have or, or ask. So I'm excited about this month's topic, Stacey. It's, you know, the M&A space is always great. Um, so we'll dive more into this later um, <laughs> this month and talk about different topics. Stacey, as always, share your contact information. Yes, my number is 641-919-6722. And the email is stacy.martin at trustedvisions.com. And my info, my phone number 480-430-5012 or info at trustedvisions.com. Hope everybody has a blessed week and we will see you next week. Thank you.